0: showtime sports presents showtime boxing with eric raskin and kieran mulvaney
1: hello and welcome to another edition of showtime boxing with raskin and mulvaney with my co-host eric raskin i am kieran mulvaney and eric it's been a few weeks now since you gave me that horrible celebrity death match top five assignment i should let it go but i just can't stop thinking about it Yeah. You've got a bad hatred for me. I don't know why, but you've got a bad hatred for me. No love, no love. Never mind love, there's respect. You gave me a challenge and I met it. You got beat fair and square. Never mind love, there's respect. I don't respect you. I don't respect you, bro. No love. I've never cheated on a top five challenge in my life. You asked me five challenges, I gave you five right back. It took a great challenge to beat you, but I beat you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: all right, Kieran, this is this has gone on long enough, uh, Fair enough. and, and I, I need you now to, to promise me you won't sing. Uh, no, oh, God. No, no Mark Cohn, no Aerosmith, <laughs> no Don McLean. I, I like your Tyson Fury impression. It, it, it's fine, but it has to end with the talking. No singing.
1: I'm completely fine with that. Okay. I'm completely <laughs> fine with that. I'm fine with, uh, with my not singing in my voice or in Tyson Fury's voice or indeed in anybody else's voice. And uh, <laughs> I,
0: I believe I speak for all of our audience when I say that uh, we, we're all fine with that as well.
1: Yes, indeed. It's 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 tough enough to be a subscriber and listener to this podcast without making, making it even more of a challenge. Um, but hey, all you listener types, I hope you're all excited because this week on the podcast, our special guest is you. Yes, we will take a quick dip into the mailbag, answer a few of your questions. Uh, we also have a couple of fights to recap uh, featuring a win for Emmanuel Navarrete and a shock defeat. But Mikey Garcia uh, and an intriguing fight to preview uh, as potential future pamper pounder Shakur Stevenson faces potentially his toughest test yet in Jamel Herring. Uh, we also have lots of outside the ring news to discuss, and I will give Eric his next top five challenge. And I'm sure he's quaking in his boots. Um, but we start in an unusual place. I don't think we've ever let off the pod with this segment before. Um Eric, you want to kick things off by revealing your tweet of the week?
0: Yeah, it it makes sense to start the show with this because it relates directly to the Fury-Wilder post-fight exchange we were just cracking wise about there. Uh, It comes from Jimmy Tobin, at Def Tobez, D-E-F-T-O-B-E-Z, if anyone's looking him up on Twitter. Uh, He's a boxing writer who I've known through Twitter for years now, Uh, wrote a book about uh, Arturo Gatti's death. Um, Anyway, Jimmy tweeted, quote, The hand-wringing and bed-wetting about fighters being respectful, like most, parentheses, all, question mark, outrage in boxing, is about the critic. Find another sport. This is sanctioned violence. It ain't canasta with granny. (laughs) <laughs> end quote. Um, now, whether you agree or disagree with the first part of the tweet, you, you have to love the last part. Um, I, right. I've, I've described boxing many ways. You know, it's a, it's not a game. You don't play boxing. It's not a tickling contest, as you like to say, Kieran. <laughs> it ain't Canasta with granny. I've never heard that one before, but I love it. Um, as for the meat of the tweet, People showing outrage over Wilder not being fully respectful to Fury, still holding a grudge, still having too much pride to give it up to the man who knocked him out twice, I mostly agree with Tobin, but... I also think it's okay to be disappointed in Wilder. Um, Granted, this was in the heat of the moment. He just absorbed 100-plus punches. But him flat-out saying, I don't respect you, no love, I think it's fair to have hoped for something more from Wilder there. Uh, But I I certainly wouldn't scold him over it. Um, And if anything, it's one of the beauties of the sport, the human element. You know, these guys went to war for 30 total rounds. We love it when two guys hug it out at the end, but variety is the spice of life and such it's also cool <laughs> when every now and then someone like Wilder just wants to keep on hating the other guy so yeah. wh- what are your thoughts Karen
1: yeah I'm, I'm sort of in two minds about it too I, on the one hand yeah I totally agree uh, I, I do think that we often you know fail to take account of what it is the boxes have just gone through I mean it's not just a, a, an athletic undertaking the adrenaline's flowing I mean they've literally been in a fight, Uh, they've been in a ring with somebody who's trying to render them unconscious, and if they've lost, there's a chance that that other person did indeed render them unconscious. Um, You know, uh, it's embarrassing and it's humiliating to be in that position, and few of us actually respond very well when we're embarrassed and humiliated. Um, And added to that, look, I mean, we wouldn't expect somebody who'd just been in a car accident to necessarily be you know, respectful or eloquent or do the right thing. We'd, we'd absolutely give them a pass right. if they could kind of lashed out at the person in the other car, for example. And, and we have, look, I think Deontay Wilder, as I said last week, I think he was concussed from very early on. Um, and, and I think you do have to cut him some slack for that as well. But I do think if if folks are hard on Wilder because of that, it's not just because of what he said then, It's because it comes on top of everything else, like that he has proven himself to be the very worst loser. Um, You know that we had a a year and a bit after the last loss of conspiracy theories of throwing other people under the bus. Um, And this is also a guy who says stuff like, I want a dead body on my record, not, oh, boxing's dangerous. I want to kill someone in the ring. And 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 so then I think it just kind of stacks up a little bit and there comes a point where people think, you know, Auntie Auntie Wilder, he's kind of a prick. <laughs> um, and, and and so that I think is probably part of the reaction. So I so I so I think Jimmy's right in you know in that sort of out of context thing but then you look at the context of everything that had built up to that moment there was a sense i think of like ah finally he's got to acknowledge that he was bested by the better man he still wouldn't do it and for all the talk to be honest about you know what a how gracious his social media statement was afterwards was it really i think it was mostly him saying how great he was and oh yeah tyson fury was in the ring with me too which is fine <laughs> right but you know and again like you said that's perfectly fine if that's the way he wants to be but you know i think i think that there's a the broader context for this particular incident that people are responding to.
0: Yeah. The social media statement was, uh, it was just relative to what he said in the ring. Exactly. It <laughs> was more respectful <laughs> and he would backed down a little bit, but, uh, but it still wasn't gushing with respect or, or to use his word, love uh, for, for Tyson Fury, certainly. And, and you brought up just an interesting th- thing there that I want to touch on, which is the, the adrenaline of the end of the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, it got me thinking about, all this talk about the NFL's new taunting rule. I don't know if you've been following this at mm-hmm. all this season, but it's just this it's basically the NFL putting in a new rule that universally across the board everybody hates. It, it is a horrible rule that they're giving unsportsmanlike conduct penalties for taunting. Basically, after you make a big tackle, make a big hit, nice. get a big run, if you kind of say anything or look at your look at the other guy a little bit cross-eyed or do anything that could possibly be construed as what they're calling taunting you're getting a 15 yard penalty and it's just absurd these guys are taught to like get all fired up get all fired up snap the ball now go and then you make a big play you're, you're, you're not allowed to flex a little bit, and, and it uh, maybe I'm particularly bitter at this moment because one of these particular taunting calls hurt the Eagles in a key spot on Thursday. But it just is a ridiculous rule, and I think it uh, applies here to, like, you just can't hold these guys to the highest of standards as they're coming down from the adrenaline precisely. of a big fight on top of all the punches that, that Wilder yeah, had precisely. to absorb in that one. Precisely. All right, uh, let's turn the podcast over now to the listeners. Uh, we still have a lot of business to get to on this week's pod, and we don't want to go an hour and a half like we did the last couple of weeks. Uh, so we're not going to go eight or ten questions deep or anything with this mailbag segment, but let's do a mini mailbag. We'll answer four of the more interesting questions you guys sent on Twitter using the hashtag AskShowPod. And I'll start with a fun one directed at you, Karen, uh, from at womble 1010 He writes... I heard Eddie Hearn use the term princes, referring to the lightweights on another oh. pod. Would you like to revisit your claymation deathmatch list to include Kieran versus Eddie? Uh, what do you say, Kieran? Uh, bitter that Eddie is stealing four princes without crediting you, or just glad to see it catching on?
1: I'm not seeking any personal glory, Eric. <laughs> okay. um, I, I, I seek solely to make the world a better place, as you know. And, and if that includes my my copyrighted patented cash catchphrase becoming established elsewhere, then then, then so be it. Uh, It is also completely irrelevant in terms of the answer to this question that Eddie Hearn can afford more and better lawyers than I can. So I can't possibly sue him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a, you know, it, it makes me think of just like, History is written by the winners, as they say. And uh, <laughs> yes. we, we're not the winners. Eddie Hearn is we're the winner. He has, he has the looks, the money, the power, That's the right. lawyers, the height. The height, but height I mean, is very important. I was yeah. just going to say the height. Yes. <laughs> In this superficial power assessing business, height seems to matter, and he has it, and, and we don't. So, uh, yeah, he might take credit for Four Princes, and there's really nothing you can do about <laughs>
1: it. Nothing, nothing whatsoever. <laughs> um, the next question comes from Rob Rigler at Riggs22. It's a big picture question and it's a good one uh do you think boxing is in a healthier situation now with several networks involved all with varying business models or was it in a better slash healthier place when hbo and showtime were the two major players
0: yeah this is a great question um so basically when it was hbo and showtime you had espn and some others that came and went they were all along with the espn doing the more minor fights but it was basically a case where big fights went either one or the other place uh, or or nowhere a lot of very good right. international fights simply weren't available in the u.s before streaming so now it's showtime espn dazone And Fox plus FS1. And then others popping up here and there, a trailer, you know, NBC and CBS have dabbled Mm -hmm. at times in recent years. But it's basically four main outlets that can all land big fights instead of two. Uh, One of them is a free network. Uh, with a cable arm, that would be Fox. One is a major cable sports network, uh, ESPN, with a streaming arm that it puts a lot of fights on. One is a premium cable network, that's Showtime, and, and one is purely streaming, Dzone. I guess one way in which it's better for fans now is that every fight is available somewhere, which which wasn't yeah. the case 15 or 20 or 25 years ago. Does it cost more now to be a boxing fan? That's something to wonder about in answering this question. It's pretty comparable uh DAZN plus ESPN plus add up to about what HBO cost. Uh, I guess the pay-per-views cost more, but that's mostly an inflation thing. Um if we look at whether it's harder or easier to make fights, I guess that's gotten tougher, you know, there're more silos, more streets to cross. Yeah. But it's not that different from how it was when HBO and Aram versus Showtime and King, uh, you know, and they they figured out how to work together once every five years or so when the fight was worth too much money to resist. But otherwise, lots of great fights died at the negotiating table back then, as they do now. Rob asked, is boxing healthier now? Uh, I feel like the sport was marginally more popular 15, 20 years ago, but that's just been a steady erosion. Every sport other than football and basketball has shedded some audience in the U.S., not sure it has anything to do with the network situation, or at least not much to do with it. So I would say the current situation is a little better for fans because of the access. Um, But the current situation has also helped drive the sport ever so slightly more niche. Um, But it just keeps going in that direction. Competition is is good to a point. Having three or four options is certainly good for the boxers themselves and, and what they can earn. Kind of a long-winded way here of not quite arriving at a clear answer, but I, I guess if I have to lean in a certain direction, I'll say I prefer the current setup. What about you?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's you, you sort of touched on it here that there's really two overlapping questions. Like, is boxing a better place now than it was when HBO and Showtime were the only games in town? And if the answer is yes, is that related to the fact that <laughs> HBO and Showtime are no longer, you know, right. the only games in town? Um, yeah, and I, I think it's better... Than it probably than it was say a few years ago, and I don't know like yourself whether that's related to the networks. I think part of that is just that we have a really I think we've got a really nice batch of talent in the sport right now. I think like a few years ago things we we were just at the time that HBO was about to get out of the game. Things were, it was going through a little bit of a grim time. A lot of the boxers who were at the top, who were the big-name boxers, all retired pretty much at once. Juan Manuel Marquez, uh, Vladimir Klitschko, Bernard right. Hopkins, Miguel Cotto, Andre Ward. Uh, suddenly, everybody was out of the game. And it's like, well, who's who's going to come up? And I think we're seeing some of these uh, younger guys actually becoming stars, and, and I think that's certainly helping. I think the main thing... I actually think we're getting more into a situation where we do are going to have two primary sort of outlets again because the zone after a big splash uh perhaps hasn't been quite the force at least in the us that it looked like it might be um you know and, and it's like putting a lot more of its efforts elsewhere Um, I I get the impression that Fox is kind of sort of not quite as committed to it as it was and Showtime maybe taking its place. Um, Much as I hate very many aspects of what ESPN is and what it stands for um, and the way it goes about sports broadcasting and sports media, its serious involvement in boxing is huge. The fact that it decided to. I mean, that's a really, really big factor, um, I think. And I think the other thing. That, that's really good with having multiple outlets. You said that, you know, uh, US fans can see a lot more fights. And I think that's true. It's basically really, there are more cards, there are more bouts, and it's really opened up the international fight scene to US audiences, I think, much more. And that's at a time where the international fight scene, particularly in Britain, but also elsewhere in, in Europe, is really at a high. Mm. So I think that's probably like the the biggest plus in terms of boxing coverage and, and where the sport is at right now I would say the one thing I do feel confident in saying is I don't think that thriller is going to become the dominant force in the industry right. anytime soon yeah I, I would certainly
0: agree with that I I was as you were talking there I started thinking whether our answers would have sounded very different, like just simply a month or so ago when, when we were on this run of Could like be. really depressing podcasts, yep. the Holy Field fight on Triller, all, all that yep. sort of stuff. Um, right now, we're a week removed from a massive heavyweight fight that got even the most mainstream people who don't follow boxing at all talking about boxing a little bit. So yep. it might feel a little a little high at the moment. It was a little yeah. unreasonably low a month ago. Probably somewhere in between is really uh, how we should feel about the current state of the sport. But um, yeah,
1: I think that's right.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, next one here from Jamie at J underscore N R E B. He writes, "I see Canelo making the Plant fight look easy. The only real threat I see in his future is Arthur Betterbev. If that happens, what shot do you give Canelo?"
1: Um, an excellent one. I give Canelo an excellent shot against everyone from light heavyweight down, I think. Um, uh, but I agree with Jamie that it's the fight that feels as if it could have the greatest risk factor for him, with the possible exception, I think, of David Benavides, which I still think would be an intriguing fight. Um, I'm keen to see how Bedebiev looks against Marcus Brown. I didn't think he looked all that great last time out, mm-hmm. Bedebiev, um, even though he did get the job done. But to be fair, he was coming back from a bout of COVID, so who knows how much that might have affected him. I, I do think Canelo probably does most things better than better BF, but better BF's strength and relentlessness would be a major factor here. And I think, you know, some of his uh, boxing skills and ring generalship are a little bit overlooked there, uh, better BF as well. It is, I think the matchup uh, really to be made that we really want to see Canelo in. And actually, to be perfectly honest, I know that it is, your personal wet dream so i kind of (laughs) almost want to yield to you on this answer really i wasn't going to use
0: the word wet Uh, i was going to say that yeah this is one of my absolute dream fights i was going to leave wet out of it but uh you went there um (laughs) i i know there's uh there's been some talk about canelo uh if he beats plant uh, which uh, let's remember what, what Breadman had to say last week. Yep. He views Plant very live there, so not everyone is uh, in agreement with Jamie on, on that fight. But if he beats Plant, a lot of talk about him moving up and facing Dimitri Beevil. If you're Canelo and you're all about proving you're the best, BetterBF is the ultimate challenge at yep. 175. Immediately after BetterBF stopped Gvoznik for the lineal title, uh, that was when I first started calling for that fight. And and at the time, I considered BetterBF the favorite. But he's barely fought since. As you said, he didn't look that great when he did. Canelo keeps looking better as he settles in at super middleweight. This is pretty damn close to a 50-50 fight right now. Um, I wonder if the sports books would favor Canelo slightly because of his name. Yeah. And if so, if better BF be is plus money, I'd probably bet on better BF. Be I'd, I'd yeah. be a better BF be better. I uh, nah. say that five times fast, nah, uh, but be better, better be a better. <laughs> I better be, you're right. <laughs> uh,
1: but uh, in my eyes, it's real close to a toss up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we've got a uh, final question here from at JLR pro. Uh, and it's another really good one uh, with the aborted comeback in the news. Uh, started thinking of Riddick Bow. Uh, I'm curious how you think he would have fared in the following matchups uh, versus Lennox as pros. Versus the comeback Foreman, and in an all Brownsville showdown with post-prison Tyson. Thanks, I'll hang up and listen. Uh, Eric, got a quick pick in each of those three fights? It's interesting because th- there's no question that Bo
0: had the least great career of any of those heavyweights. You know, if if you if you had to remove one from the Hall of Fame, it's Bo, and and it isn't right. close. And yet, his prime against anyone else's prime, he, he's not easy to pick against. Uh, his prime was brief. But the guy who went two and one against prime Evander Holyfield and, and was otherwise a dominant heavyweight until he suddenly lost several steps all at once against Andrew Galatta that guy's a tough out for it for any heavyweight in history. So if we're thinking of all these fights happening around 95, I guess when, when Bo was still in his prime, I think he beats post prison Tyson fairly dominantly, um, you know, with the, with the disclaimer that Tyson has a puncher's chance. Um, right. I think he would be too much for Foreman, uh, who, who got outboxed by Tommy Morrison, was getting outboxed by Michael Moore, really struggled with a lot of guys who were three talent levels below Bo, like like Alex Stewart, Axel Schultz, etc. Again, give Foreman a puncher's chance, but but that's about it in that matchup. The tough call is Lewis, even though Lennox won at the Olympics, Bo was better as a pro up through the mid 90s, but. Uh, I guess even though they were young in 1988 and not fully developed, you have to give some credence to the evidence there, which was that Mm. Lennox could land both the left hook and the right hand against Bo and could hurt him. So I I guess I'd favor Lennox in that one, especially knowing everything we know about both fighters now.
1: Yeah, the difficulty is, isn't it? Are we talking about the Riddick Bo who could have been and who for a brief shining moment was? Right. Or the Riddick Bowe that he turned out to be. I mean, you're absolutely right. It, it like makes such a difference if you shift it from, say, 94 to 96. Right. Um, uh, I, I think a, a fantasy Riddick Bowe who maximized his talents, which was so considerable, who actually worked at his craft, um, didn't fall apart the way he did. He could have been one of the very greatest heavyweights of all time. I, I thought I thought he was on his way to be just sensational. Um, I think at the time when the matchup with Lewis is being seriously mooted up until the point where Lennox lost to Oliver McCall. I think Riddick would have smoked Lennox then. Hmm. But once Manny Stewart got a hold of him, once he started to turn him, uh, you know, into a much more complete fighter, I think peak Lennox beats peak Riddick. Um, I just think, you know, every so often you would just see in Lennox's eyes, like going into a fight, like he's a nice guy, Lennox. Right, but he would just sometimes get that "I'm gonna mess this guy up" look in his face, and you know that he would be so focused for that fight, uh, and I think technically really sound. So I would, I would pick the very best Lennox Lewis over the very uh, best Riddick Bowe, but, um, but yeah, I, I agree. Probably eight to nine times out of ten, anything close to a peak Riddick Bowe beats Tyson. Um, assuming he can get through the first few rounds and yeah and again against Foreman just depends which Riddick Bow are we talking about Uh, uh, if it's Riddick that that's starting to go off the boil I think I think George toys with him Um, but uh, anything close to a halfway decent Riddick Bow should should absolutely have too much for George but yeah that's the big that's the big question you just don't know which Riddick Bow is going to show up such a shame
0: yeah, and and we should note to the hardcore Tyson fanatics that again he spelled out post prison Tyson. Exactly, we aren't we aren't talking about prime Bo versus prime Tyson. That's a whole yeah. another discussion. Um, and and one other thing to add here, just going back to the earlier question about the the state of boxing now versus uh, you know twenty thirty whatever years ago. Um, I you know when when thinking about this question, I was able to just go on YouTube. And watch Lennox Lewis versus Riddick Bowe in the 1988 Olympics, the whole the whole two rounds that that fight lasted, I could just call it right up. Whereas in the past as a boxing fan. Uh, you know, I, I read about that fight. I had never seen it uh, until until YouTube came along and and made all this easy. So um, it's it's just so cool. We we should not take for granted how easy it is to look up any fight we want from history that was that was recorded and just call it up and watch it and see that. Oh yeah, you know what? Lennox uh, really
1: stylistically had had Riddick Bowe's number at least in nineteen eighty eight. Yeah, I used to have to go to the news vendor and pick up ring magazine to find out the results of fights from two months ago. For right. Gosh sake. So, right. Yeah, and then absolutely. you're relying on whoever,
0: whoever wrote about it, that their uh, interpretation of what they saw becomes the yeah. closest that you come to actually watching the, yep. the fight sometimes. Yep. So uh, yeah, I, I like this a little bit better.
1: <laughs> yeah, agreed.
0: All right. Let's shift from talking about hypothetical fights that, that didn't happen a quarter century ago to actual fights that were fought this past weekend And we'll start with a huge upset out of Fresno, California, probably the leader in the clubhouse for upset of the year as Spanish Southpaw Sandor Martin boxed his way to a majority decision win over Mikey Garcia. Scores were 97-93, 97-93, and 95-95. Mikey Garcia is 33 years old now. He's lost two of his last three fights after starting his career 39-0. There are a lot of questions about his future whereas Martin, uh, who had no significant wins on his record before this, is now a player at 140 or 147 pounds. Kieran, how did Martin pull off this upset? How much of it was about Mikey and his ring rust? And do you expect we'll see an immediate rematch?
1: Um, He pulled it off Martin by moving, moving some more and letting his hands go when he needed to. Mm -hmm. He he retreated, let Garcia come on to him, fired off counter combinations and moved again. And, And Garcia just Trotted after him. Um, he put pr- some pressure on him, but he didn't do so particularly effectively. If you didn't know who Mikey Garcia was and what he had achieved in his career, and this was the first you'd seen of Mikey Garcia, I suspect you would just think he was a fairly middling boxer puncher with not a great deal of ability to cut off a ring or put mm-hmm. good pressure. I mean, he looked a deeply ordinary boxer in there, I thought. Um, and it's sort of, I, I don't know that it, his performance was a function of a ring rust as much as the ring rust was a function of, I think, what's been almost a career long and certainly recently an indifference and even ambivalence toward boxing on his part. Yeah. Um, Garcia's never particularly yearned to be a boxer. He just happens to be very good at being a boxer. And boxing happens to be the family business. Um He's never been slow to point out that if he'd had his druthers, he'd have been a race car driver or a cop. And he's never been particularly slow to express that sentiment, although there have been periods where he sort of insisted, no, I've got the fire. It's, 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 I'm really happy to do it. And I think especially since the Spence fight, whether because it was just a whole different experience going up in that weight, whether it was, you know, suffering a loss for the first time or whether, you know, it's the healthy paycheck He just has given the impression, I think, that he doesn't particularly know what he wants and whether he wants to keep going. He sort of feels like he's keeping going because that's what he does, because whether he wants to be or not, he's a boxer. Um, I suspect if he doesn't know what he wants to do or if he doesn't really want to do this, he's probably best advised to hang them up, Mikey Garcia. Not that I think he's in any grave danger of getting badly hurt or anything, but this isn't a business to be in if you're not really committed to it and judging by the way he looked physically i question how into it he is so um but if he is going to continue i I don't know that he has much option but to to have a rematch with martin i think he you know if he is going to continue and he does want to pursue a fight against some of the better guys at 140 or 147 he's got to prove that this was an off night and this isn't the sign of him slipping
0: yeah, uh, I I definitely uh, would would echo that that it's uh, it's not a good business to uh, to continue in if you're not all the way in on it it, it ain't canasta with granny <laughs> let's keep that in mind <laughs> um, um, I, I have I have two quick uh, notes that I want to add on, on this one has very little to do with the fight um, but they had Jessica McCaskill on the broadcast as an extra commentator they asked her to chime in with like 15 seconds of technical analysis a couple of times. And she nailed it. She was great. That's I, w- I want to hear more of her on future broadcast. Um. And the other thing, taking nothing away from Sandor Martin, we are clearly well removed from Mikey's prime here. And yep. you could sense it just looking at his body, his build, before the bell even rang to start the fight. He's now built like middleweight Duran, maybe even super middleweight Duran. Uh, Mikey used to be skinny and tall for his division at featherweight. Now he has that build of a guy yep. who's moved up a little too far and is... Just kind of getting by on his name. Uh, maybe like Duran, he'll have one or two surprising wins left in him. But I'm guessing we're very close to the end with Mikey.
1: Yeah, he could do the round robin with Robert Guerrero and Victor Ortiz. There, you know, they they don't, they, they don't, don't of give anyone, anyone any ideas. <laughs> I'm deleting that. I'm cutting that out. <laughs> They don't need to hear you saying that. Yeah, coming up on trailer pay-per-view. Um, <laughs> so obviously, look, Mikey Garcia losing was the upset of the weekend and the story of the weekend in boxing. But the fight of the weekend took place far to the south in California in San Diego, where featherweight titlist Emmanuel Navarrete avoided an upset loss of his own. But he got a tougher than expected challenge from Joey Gonzalez. Uh, Gonzalez's face looked a mess for most of that fight, but he just kept coming might have even buzzed Navarrete once or twice, but it was Navarrete winning the bulk of the rounds, taking a decision by scores of 118-110 and 116-112 twice. Eric, was this fight good enough that it belongs in the fight of the year conversation? And give me a stock report on both fighters. Does Navarrete's stock go down a little bit in victory or Gonzalez is up in defeat at all? Um, as far as the first part,
0: how good the fight was, it was very good. Was not quite great. Um, it's it's an honorable mention, but it's not in the actual fight of the year conversation for me. And by the way, I don't know if there even has to be any kind of a fight of the year conversation when you get a heavyweight championship right. fight with five knockdowns. Unless something else crazy happens in the next two months, I don't think there's any need for a conversation this year. Um, anyway, uh, Gonzalez's stock undoubtedly goes up in defeat Um, and with it uh, a guy we'll be talking about in just a few minutes Shakur Stevenson his stock goes up too because he beat Gonzalez a lot more easily than Navarrete did Um, but definitely Gonzalez is an opponent you you have to take seriously now against anyone at 126 pounds he fought his heart out and his ass off and he had cuts and swellings and he was slightly outclassed but he performed really well Uh, won three rounds on my card which is More than most Navarrete opponents win. Um, And I'm looking at the TBRB rankings. Gonzalez was number 10 at featherweight coming into this fight. I'd be inclined to move him up off this loss ahead of less proven guys like Michael Conlon at 9, Mark Magsayo at 8. I see King Tug at 4. Gonzalez should be right in there around Mm -hmm. the same spot as Tug, I would think. Um, As for Navarrete... I don't think his stock goes down. Uh, There were moments in the fight where I thought he looked a little flat and uh, certainly not great relative to Shakur Stevenson. But he won clearly. He overcame some sloppy and or dirty tactics, um, some trips from the feet tangling, a lot of low blows. He overcame getting hit by a low blow that referee Ray Corona called low and he was on the canvas in pain, and Corona gave him no time to recover, made him just keep fighting. And after all that, Navarrete finished strong and won the fight clearly. So I think his stock moves sideways off this one, maybe even ever so slightly up, because he was part of a highly entertaining fight. Right.
1: Yeah. All right, turning our attention to this coming weekend's fight, uh, there is one that stands out clearly above the others uh, on Saturday in Atlanta, with ESPN televising, it is the aforementioned 2016 Olympic silver medalist Shakur Stevenson. 16-0 with eight KOs, facing a member of the 2012 Olympic team, Jamel Herring, who is and 23-2 with 11 KOs, who's won seven straight, including a career-best win over Carl Frampton, sending Frampton into retirement last time out. Both are southpaws. Uh, Herring is considerably older. He's 35, and Stevenson is 24. Eric? What is your level of excitement heading into this fight, and also how do the odds makers have it, and do you see a betting option that you like? Yeah, I'm looking forward to this very much. It's a good fight.
0: Um, I'm not sure "excited" is the word. These guys don't quite get my heart rate up. They're they're skilled boxers, and I, I don't know how many thrills to expect in this one. Yeah. But um, it's competitive. It's Stevenson, um, who hasn't fought any real top 10 fighters yet other than Joette Gonzalez, who wasn't necessarily a true top 10 contender at the time. It's Stevenson going up a level. So I'm curious to see that. Um, He's still an enormous favorite despite stepping up. I was almost a little surprised how wide the odds are the closest I see it is Shakur Stevenson as a minus 750 favorite. Um, and I also found him wider than that. Uh, other books have him at minus 800 and minus 950. Uh, so uh, he's, he's a huge favorite here. Herring is a little over a plus 500 underdog. Um, so, you know, that tells you, even though it is a step up for Stevenson, he is not expected to lose. And I don't see any sense in betting him at minus 750 or in betting Herring at about five to one. The bet I like... And shout out to Rafe Bartholomew for spotting this a week or two ago and pointing out to me what good value it is. Stevenson, by decision, is minus 130 at FanDuel. That's far and away the most likely outcome, I'd say. Um, I'd say... Uh, it's probably like 70% or so. Stevenson wins the fight by decision, 20% Stevenson KO, 10% Herring wins or it's a draw. Um, so there's value there. Uh, I have placed a bet on Shakur by decision at minus 130. Just one pizza. See what happens. Um, uh, back, back at you. H- how fired up are you for this one? And uh, do you see it as a serious test for Stevenson and possibly even an upset?
1: I see it as a very serious test for Stevenson and absolutely I can see an upset, although mm. I definitely make Stevenson the favorite, but not a freaking minus 900 favorite. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. Um, look, Stevenson, it's, it's, he's the natural blue chipper potentially with the, with the high ceiling herrings, the relatively late career bloomer who's absolutely making the most of his talent and skills. Um, yeah, look, Stevenson needs to use his speed and his boxing skills to sort of slip under and inside herrings punches. He needs to dart in, and, and jab repeatedly to the body, I think, slow Herring down, pile up points, and then start stepping in and, and using his speed to throw combinations inside. Um, Herring wants to keep Stevenson at range, work that uppercut that was so effective against Frampton uh, and an overhand left. He he wants to try to catch Stevenson in transition when Shakur is sort of stepping back from working inside. Um, if he can do that, I think you know he has a chance, but I do think that ultimately, Stevenson's greater skill set and natural talent will make the difference here. And and in terms of the odds, I, yeah, I, I do not see it very likely that Shakura stops Herring unless it's on cuts or something like that. But I can absolutely see him just being just too fast and too good and outpointing him. That's for sure.
0: But is, so, is there any intrigue on your part? On on a, a, a little, would you would you place a little something on Herring at five to one or so, or or
1: not quite seeing the value in that? Not either? quite. Okay. Not quite, no. Um, I, I, I see there are potential here, but I do. I think the the greater likelihood. I think the greater likelihood is that Herring might catch Stevenson moving out, and that he and, and that he. If I were to put some money on Herring, I, it might be on stop by stoppage. That's not a bad call. Uh, yeah, uh, um, but but otherwise. we right. Well, keep a, keep, keep filibustering
0: 20%. for a moment while I look up the odds okay. on Herring by stoppage, because uh, I I feel it is that, imperative yeah, to could let our really listeners. Be kind of know.
1: interesting. I think he might be more likely to win by stoppage than by points, because I think I do think that Shakur is more likely to outwork him over uh, twelve rounds or so. All
0: right. Let's see here. We've got Herring by KO plus nine hundred. I'm seeing. So yeah. So you'd oh, so right. you do that over plus five hundred on him to just yeah. win.
1: Period. Okay. Yeah, I think I might actually. All right. Um, only
0: one other fight coming up the, this this coming weekend that's worth mentioning. On Friday the 22nd in Montreal, Oscar Rivas meets Ryan Rosicki for a vacant title from some alphabet group that we won't name in some weight class that we won't
1: name. Kieran, anything you want to say about this or have I already said too much? Man, it's it's... Here we are back to the state of boxing, right <laughs> and it's one thing we've 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 always made it a point not to mention alphabet groups, but now we have weight divisions we can't even mention yeah. oh my goodness uh, so yeah, I, I want to be dismissive of what this fight is without being dismissive of the fighters. Oscar Rivas is a good solid pro, um, and his only loss was against Ilium White, and there were all kinds of shenanigans on on the white side uh when that happened related to positive tests and whatnot um. No disrespect intended to either man. It's absurd that this is a fight for any kind of title, let alone one at a very silly weight, but um, you know. Good for them. And That's hashtag
0: hashtag boxing, I thought you were gonna hashtag throw any on the end there. Yes,
1: yeah. exactly. There you go.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh time for some outside the ring news. Uh the main event of the news segment this week is a collection of injuries that have befallen top fighters. Starting with the one that blows up a scheduled fight, while training for his November 27th bout against Jojo Diaz, Ryan Garcia injured his right wrist and needs surgery. He reportedly chipped a bone and suffered ligament damage. So the Diaz fight is off. Garcia will not fight again this year. The other injuries involve boxers who just fought. Actually, all of them fought on the same card a week ago against tyson fury Deontay wilder suffered a broken finger on his right hand which required surgery before fouling out against robert Hellenius, adam kaunachki endured a broken left orbital bone uh, not a surprise if you saw the way his face looked in that fight and during the earlier part of that undercard we talked last week about edgar berlanga's struggle against marcelo esteban coceres it turns out berlanga injured his left biceps during the third round and plans for him to return to the ring in December are off. Kieran, how big a bummer is the Garcia injury, and anything else you'd like to comment on here?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a bummer, but look, as long as the kid goes and gets healed, that's the important thing. It's been a bit of a rough stretch for for Garcia, but hopefully at the end of this, he'll just be in a much better place physically as, as well as uh, you know mentally. It is a marathon, not a sprint, a boxing career, So, and you need to be in the best of health uh, to be able to maximize it. Um, it looks as if... Diaz, meanwhile, might be fine. It looks like he might go against Devin Haney instead. His match room, uh, Eddie Hearn saying that he's matched the offer that Golden Boy made him for the Garcia matchup, and and Diaz tweeting that, you know, he certainly wants to take that. So um, not at all surprised about the Konachki news or the Wilder news. Um, The Belanga bicep looked pretty nasty. Do you see that uh, photograph of that huge bruise on the the bicep? Oh, my goodness me. Um, Yeah, like they say. As we have indeed pointed out, you don't play boxing. <laughs> it is not a tickle contest. It is not canasta with granny. Um, it is a. Lord it's a tough way to earn a living that's for sure. What if what if there's a granny who's really dangerous
0: out there right, and like you badass, you come right? right you come away typically injured after a game of canasta with her. Maybe there's a granny out there like that.
1: Right, or she's actually some kind of serial killer who lures people in to play canasta with her and then she <laughs> kills them and puts them in her basement or something. Wasn't the big
0: bad wolf posing as a granny? <laughs> Perhaps.
1: Yes, you are correct. Yeah, so
0: you know mm. my, my what big uh, teeth you have <laughs> while playing canasta with granny is something yeah. you don't want to find yourself saying
1: yeah you there you go these these are the uh, the uh, alleys we go down yes. uh, if we're just allowed to talk <laughs> <laughs> um we have an assortment of items on our news undercard uh we start with the sad news the deaths of tony demarco and kitaro Hoshino. uh demarco briefly welterweight champion in the 1950s and one of the most exciting fighters of his era and a 2019 hall of fame inductee died at age 89 on Monday. And Hoshino, a Japanese strawweight champion in the late 90s, died at just 52 of an undisclosed illness. In other news, one time British heavyweight prospect David Price announced his retirement at age 38 with a record of 25 and six with 20 KOs. Uh, Some fights were made official this week. On Showtime Championship Boxing on October 30th, top welterweight Jamal James faces Raja Butayev. Jerron Boots-Ennis takes on Thomas DeLorme in the co-feature and opening the show. We'll get another look at Michelle Rivera, who takes on Matias Romero. Uh, that main event, James versus Butayev, is part of a four-man box-off that a sanctioning body ordered, with Ordenis Ugas and Amantis Stanionis on the other side of the bracket. Uh, another fight made official for December 17th on ESPN+. Plus. We talked about this briefly earlier. Light heavyweight champ Artur Beterbiev defends against former U.S. Olympian Marcus Brown. And the last news note... Richard Schaefer's new company, Probellum, has announced a slew of signings. Too many to list here, but we haven't mentioned Probellum yet. So, there. Now we've mentioned it. Uh, so, Eric, you want you another crack at your Schaefer impression? Anything else to comment on here? Hello, Karen. Yes, I, I will take another crack
0: at the Richard Schaefer impression, uh, but I won't use his voice to say the things I said about Oscar as Richard on Ring Theory, as that could come back to haunt me if Probelum and Showtime ever start working
1: together. Oh God! Indeed. Yeah,
0: yeah. Do I got it? Do I still got it. Yeah, that's
1: great. That's right. great. It's not, yeah. it's
0: not necessarily Mulvaney as Tyson Fury, but, uh, but it'll do. I think.
1: Uh, maybe respects, maybe it's better respects. Respect. <laughs> All right. Respects.
0: No love, but I get respect. I'll take it. Okay. Um, so okay, moving on to the other items. Uh, condolences, of course, to the families of Tony DeMarco and Keitaro Hoshino. Uh, I, I like the depth on that October 30th Showtime card. Yeah. Um, it's coming together late, but a uh, good move by, uh, by our boss, Mr. Espinoza, getting some live fights on the week before the Canelo yep. Plant pay-per-view to build toward it. Um, and I'll, I'll comment on David Price. He might be my all-time number one fighter i got behind and said was going to be the next big thing who yeah. didn't come close uh, he flamed out because it turned out he just couldn't take a punch and it's a reminder that you just don't know until you see a guy get mm-hmm. hit a few times like we go nuts gushing over boots ennis right now because he has every imaginable tool is it possible his chin will crack easily against the first yeah. guy who lands hard and clean maybe um that was the case with price he couldn't get past tony thompson And he was never the same after that. And it got scary in there a few times. And I I really stopped wanting to see him in the ring at all quite a few years ago. Mm -hmm. I'm glad he has decided to hang him up. And uh, I I hope in whatever he does next, he comes in facing low expectations and exceeds them. He he could use (laughs) that sort of scenario instead of one where idiots like me predict greatness uh, that, in fact, was never to be.
1: I also was pretty high on him and not just because he's a fan of Liverpool football club. Um, uh, But yeah, he was uh, offensively is pretty good. After he smoked Audley Harrison in about 10 seconds, I thought, oh, okay, this guy could be pretty good. But yep, there you go. Um, All right. Time now for the top five list. And I know you're a little concerned that I would enact some (laughs) kind of revenge. I am a little little worried for for the uh, claymation celebrity deathmatch list. Uh, But no. That is not the kind of person that I am, Eric. Okay. Revenge is a dish best served cold. Mm. And I have to wait for the temperature to drop. <laughs> so I shall bide my time. You, you
0: are really channeling uh, Hannibal Lecter as you deliver this monologue.
1: <laughs> One day, quid pro quo, Eric, quid pro quo. One day, I will come up with a list that you abhor... But only when you don't expect it okay. this week is an easy one okay all right and a relevant one um there is still plenty of deserved chatter about the fury wilder fight from a week ago we've been chattering about it still on this one and deservedly so it was one hell of a fight as we talked about last week where i take slight issue with apparently everyone else on earth is just how great it was. Um, in its immediate aftermath, a Bob Aram, who has never exaggerated about anything ever, said it was the best heavyweight fight he'd ever seen, um, before backtracking a few days later and saying it was number two. Um, like I said last week, I thought it was a terrific fight, and I agree with you that surely it's the fight of the year, and as something remarkable happens here on in. Um, but from round six on, I thought it was a one-sided beatdown. If Wilder had pulled off an 11th-round KO punch, then okay. But it didn't. Um, However, I am very happy to be shown the error of my ways. I am also very happy for us to remind our listeners that there have been a very great many tremendous heavyweight title fights over the last century and change. Your mission, Eric, is to list and rank every single one of those heavyweight title fights. I kid, of course. (laughs) But what are your top five heavyweight title fights of all time and hey maybe you sit down and you think about it and maybe fury wilder 3 is among them
0: mm-hmm.
1: um prove me wrong all right You're...
0: <laughs> well I'm, I'm always extra motivated to prove you wrong if i can so <laughs> Indeed, if it's no, borderline no. that this that fury wilder could be my five or my six it's going to be my five but I uh understand. <laughs> but okay i like this assignment certainly topical uh, and uh, great opportunity to rewatch clips of uh, classic fights and uh, certainly a, a chance for us to talk about some of the all-time great heavyweight names and exactly. fights. So uh, so I like this one. Very well.
1: Okay. Uh, that will do it for this week's episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and As Eric breathes a sigh of relief for now. <laughs> for now. For now. Uh, we will be back next week to give our post-fight thoughts on Stevenson Herring and to go in-depth on previewing that James Boutoev card as well as previewing Dillian White against Otto Boleyn. Uh, Until then, be safe, be kind.